0: Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Jamie Rosenberg, Assistant Editor for the American Journal of Managed Care. More than two years into the oncology care model, practices participating in the model have now received results from Performance Period 1 and Performance Period 2. With results from two performance periods under the belt, Some practices have demonstrated both success and improvement while others still struggle to perform well under the model. With considerable lag time between the end of a performance period and the release of the full report, practices trying to improve are presented with a significant barrier. To digest the findings from Performance Period 2, as well as get insight into the successes and challenges facing practices in the model, we spoke with Dr. Charles Saunders and Dr. Marcus Neubauer. First, we spoke with Dr. Charles Saunders, the Chief Executive Officer of Integra Connect, who gave a rundown on practices performance in Performance Period 2. The, uh,
1: the, the delta between their actual cost and the target price in Performance Period 2 was significant. There were very few practices that were in the money. Uh, most actually lost money. What we found, though, from the Performance Period 1 to 2 is about a 41% improvement in that delta. That is, they're losing less money, and some practices have actually gone into positive territory with a substantial performance-based bonus. Uh, Most of the improvement has been in um, uh, positive trend factor adjustments and uh, novel therapy adjustments. By trend factor adjustment, I mean that the local marketplace cost has gone up at a faster rate, so they get some benefit for that, but that means that they must be holding their costs relative to the um, to the market average. Uh, we also saw an increase in recoupment, so recoupment is the MEALS payments that are clawed back by CMS. Uh, a lot of that is due to attribution logic issues, so for example, if... Uh, if a practice has provided uh, chemotherapy and other services to an oncology patient, but the plurality of e visits uh, for that patient during the performance period was attributed to some other physician, which commonly occurs, for example, if you have either, a, let's say, a, a, a patient with breast cancer that might be only seen infrequently by the, uh, by the oncologist because they're on maintenance hormonal therapy, but is seen frequently by a primary care physician who happens to put the breast cancer in as a primary diagnosis, then it'll be attributed to that patient. So there's a fair number of those. Also for patients who have complex multiple comorbidities, it's very likely that they're also going to have a cardiologist and many other uh, clinicians uh, who are providing uh, um, the uh, uh, primary care ENM codes and so that you wouldn't get attributed to that patient even though you're doing the work. Bottom line is we're seeing maybe 20 to 30% recoupment uh, of the MIOS payments which was unexpected in performance period two, uh, one. The, the, number, the amount of recruitment has doubled pretty much in uh, performance period two. A lot of that has to do with the overlap between uh, uh, episodes that span one performance period to another, so there's you know, some, some uh, uh, doubling of the cases.
0: We also sat down with Dr. Marcus Neubauer, the chief medical officer of the U.S. Oncology Network, who offered perspective on lessons learned from the model this far.
2: The oncology care model is, I think, a very provocative model. Uh, I'm the chief medical officer for the U.S. Oncology Network, and we have about 80% of our network practices participating in the oncology care model, which represents about 900 providers. It's, uh, I think, a a sort of um, catalyst to this transition to value-based care. Uh, Our practices often were participating in small, value-based care agreements with payers, but these were maybe with 50, 100, 150 patients per year. The oncology care model is so important because of how big it is, for one thing. Furthermore, it's a very well thought out model. It has imperfections, it has flaws, and one thing I will say about the team at uh, CMMI who leads the oncology care model, they are interested in listening to the participants and making some adjustments in the model over time. So I think that uh, this is an important model. I think that we, uh, it's a very difficult model to participate in, there are a lot of requirements, but it is certainly one that our practices want to participate in because of its importance, because of uh, its size, and really because it it is the most visible um, model out there in this transition to value-based care.
0: Taking a look at practices that did well under the model, Dr. Neubauer discussed what they have in common.
2: I think one of the uh, criticisms so far in the oncology care model is it's been somewhat opaque uh, as to why some practices have done well early on and some haven't. In fact, it's been a surprise to me. uh, In the US Oncology Network, we have 15 practices who are participating. Some of the practices who I would have predicted to do well didn't, or at least didn't do as well as I thought and others did better than I thought and so of course what you need to do there is then figure out why because that's how you learn and I think that it's been somewhat difficult to figure out um, why, peop- why practices get certain results and frankly it's, I think it's been hard for CMMI to tell us uh, now we may learn more over time and I think that we will and I think though having said that there are a few um, obvious uh, um, uh, changes in a practice that make a difference. Certainly, if you work very hard to expand access during the day, urgent care visits, however you want to describe it, but get people to come into your clinic, make room for them in your clinic by hiring more uh, um, advanced practice providers or navigators or what have you, and keeping them out of the ER, which keeps them out of the hospital, uh, is, is, is certainly um, a good thing to do, and I think the practices that do better at that are likely to do better in the oncology care model. Uh, incorporating clinical pathways. Uh, in the network, the U.S. Oncology Network, we've had a clinical pr- pathways program for years. and That is one way um, that we can have some management of drugs uh, to, a, uh, to, to the degree that we can manage drugs. So I think those are things that, that come to the top of the list of practices who are going to be successful some infrastructure to manage drugs to the best that you can, Um, uh, hiring staff that help improve workflows and care coordination uh, are the things that stand out to me.
0: Dr. Neubauer also outlined some of the common challenges facing practices under the model.
2: The challenges in the oncology care model um, uh, exist. Uh, Certainly uh, one of the the, requirements of the oncology care model is to submit data to medicare now conversely medicare gives us data which is one of the biggest advantages of participating in this model you get claims data which typically we do not get from payers so having access to this and connecting that claims data on a patient to the clinical information on the patient is very valuable and allows us to use that to to learn and to make improvements but Reporting data on our end is very cumbersome. We not only have to enter data on each individual patient, we ultimately have to report on all those patients, and that's very cumbersome. Um, Changing workflows. There is a lot of expectations here on redesigning our practice, and that takes a lot of work. Uh, bringing in nurse navigators, bringing in social workers, um, hiring more nurse practitioners, uh, changing uh, the uh, the way that we design our clinics and our infusion rooms to better accommodate patients. This is a lot of work. It's a heavy lift, and I think that's a challenge. And you you try to do the best you can, but it takes time to do that. And I think that's why the um, time frame of five years for the oncology care model makes sense to me because it takes time to make these changes. I see those as probably the biggest challenge. I'd, I'd say the third very big challenge for us is this is a model that is that is designed around expenses that are incurred over a six-month period. and By far and away the largest expense is drugs. And we have some leeway on how we manage drugs, but not a lot. I mean, if a patient has an advanced cancer, they're more than likely going to benefit from at least trying an immunotherapy drug. We can't leave those out, and yet those drugs are very expensive. So it's a challenge to try to lower the cost of care, knowing that the drugs are very expensive. We don't really have a lot of cheaper alternatives to choose from.
0: With a six-month lag time before collecting all the claims data, and another three-month lag after that, it's almost a year before practices are able to see their performance data. Dr. Neubauer discussed how practices are reconciling the fact that the results are getting back to them much later.
2: So if you think about it, uh, that's pretty unavoidable. Now, keep in mind, CMS does give us data quarterly. So we do get these quarterly feeds on, the, on data that patients who they think are attributed to us, and they determine that based on the claims they see that come from our practice. So we do get quarterly data, but the actual report on how we did, sort of the report card on how we did, uh, comes about eight or nine months after the period ends. But it has to be that way because it takes time for claims to come in, and then they have to do their analysis. So we recognize it would be very difficult for them to give us results earlier because there's still data coming in. So we know that there is a lag, and you're right, it does delay our ability to make changes based upon those results. So, the, the, it's just a fact that those results are, late, uh, are delayed, but when you do get them, it, it really is an opportunity to look at the data, learn where you were doing particularly well on quality metrics or not, and where you were doing particularly well or not on some of the financial cost metrics.
0: Given this lag time, practices sometimes have trouble pinpointing what they were doing that many months ago that led to their results. Dr. Saunders explained.
1: They do, they do. Uh, and we get this a lot because we, we analyze and support a lot of practices doing this. So um, the big question is that, you know, why is this happening? You know, why is the, uh, why am I improving if I improved? You know, what's driving that improvement? Uh, why am I not generating savings? Uh, where in fact, are I, I am I different points expected? So we might, we've seen uh, uh, improvements in a number of the quality measures, small improvements, but uh, improvements nonetheless in, say, OCM measures one through three. But then we've seen if when we break down the costs and we benchmark that across the uh, large community, we've seen some practices have uh, a much larger than expected increase in, in uh, Part B and Part D drugs. And so the question will be, well, what's driving that? What specific agents and what strategies um, should, I, should I change to, um, uh, to, to make a difference? in performance period 1 we saw that about a little over 50% of the cost of the entire uh, care uh, was due to um, to drug but in performance period 2 it's risen to over
0: 60% Dr. Saunders also highlighted some key areas of opportunity left in the OCM for practices to focus on for improvement
1: I think that in general the practices have underinvested in the things that that we know either um, through evidence or intuitively that will make a difference, um, because the first year or two we're just getting up to speed and and uh, you know uh, learning how to manage under this new paradigm. And so they oftentimes un- underclub the resources needed for doing the care management job, and and in many cases they're not available in the marketplace. So. So I think that there's a lot of room to go yet with a lot of the traditional things like like managing office hours and ED visits and, uh, and getting on top of high risk patients and risk stratifying the population and uh, in managing transitions in care. There's a lot of room to go in end of life because of the percentage of, of, um, of um, patients who meet the OCM-3 uh, target goal for hospice is incredibly low uh, for the population. So a lot of room to go there with just the traditional things. But I think in a, uh, there are not some not a number of things that will need to change. I think the OCM program needs to evolve so that the target setting is more accurate um, and uh, affects reality better. That um, the uh, attribution logic is addressed so um, and that uh, uh, the drug costs and so forth are, are appropriately uh, uh, addressed and that there are proper incentives in place. So all of those things need to evolve. I know that there's a push by CMS to to move to the two-sided risk model. And I think some practices that will be reluctant to do that if they haven't demonstrated an ability to control those costs and, uh, and generate savings. Uh, even though the hurdle is, is dropping for those and the, the stop-loss cap is, uh, is lower at 8%, so it's a little bit more favorable. Uh, I think that the, some practices might cost, cost, cautiously wait in uh, if um, some of those factors change.
0: To learn more about the OCM and performance period results, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. You can get in touch with us by emailing info at AJMC.com or by following us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And finally, if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate and subscribe.